Ladies and gentlemen, the Brett Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK. Chamatka Sandu from Toronto in Canada. And uh, we've come to the end of uh, a moment in history, ladies and gentlemen. The, uh, the run of fights at the UFC Apex during this pandemic. Five consecutive shows has come to an end. And oh my goodness me, did they finish with a bang. Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker putting on an absolute barn burner to uh, put a cap on that five event run. Of course, in a couple of weeks time, we've got Fight Island, but we have got a lot planned over the course of, uh, of the next few weeks. Lots of big, big fights, lots to talk about, and plenty to talk about on this week's show. But first off, Sandu, how's your week been? How have things been going? And uh, have you recovered from that absolute war uh, between Poirier and Hooker at the weekend? Oh, mate. Well, first of all, I was lucky because I wasn't on BT Sports Shift on Saturday night. So I was actually able to kick back and just be a fan and not have to worry about work and, you know, clipping this and clipping that and doing behind the scenes social media stuff. So, boy, did I, did I get, you know, everything that I wanted out of that main event. I think we all did. And what a great way to end this kind of batch of events uh, at the Apex. And, um, you know, we've got this bye week coming up where there's no events. Um, for the next couple of weeks but I think it's good that we can kind of digest and absorb and reflect on what's happened and then also preview what's coming up in the month of July yeah it's going to be uh, it's going to be a crazy month fight island um, the you know the intrigue of what it's actually going to look like uh, I think we had a little bit of a sneak peek from from uh, from Dana White earlier today but to see it actually uh, on fight night will be very interesting and obviously we have four of those but before we go on and, and, and start looking at all that sort of stuff, let's uh, let's finish all family business with these these UFC Vegas shows. UFC Vegas 4 was actually the fifth uh, Vegas show because we had UFC 250 um, amongst that run. Um, but Dustin Poirier beating Dan Hooker after five absolutely brilliant rounds of, of, uh, of action. 48-47, 48-47 and 48-46 for the Diamond who on my scorecard at least, came from two rounds down to win that fight. Um, on my card, I had Dan Hooker edging the first two rounds. Every single round was competitive for me, but I had Hooker taking the first two, and then Poirier just, he just seemed to turn it up. And uh, maybe it's that five-round experience, but he got the job done. Fantastic fight. And uh, it's one of those fights where even though Dan Hooker lost... I think he came out of it with an immense amount of credit. And I think he's proved that he deserves to be in that upper echelon at 155 pounds. How did you score it, Sandu? I, I gave it 48-47 to Poirier on the night. How did you score it? And, and what were your main takeaways from that from that main event? I scored it the same way you did. The first two rounds to Hooker, the final three rounds for Poirier. And I think that's where the experience kind of came into play here. I think Hooker, you know... Gave it all those first few rounds, but maybe he didn't leave enough left in the tank to see out the championship rounds. And, and Poirier's been there, done that, bought the T-shirt at this stage. And although he was down, I, don't, I never, never thought, I never got the, uh, the the sense that he felt as though he was in trouble in the fight or that he was kind of panicking at any stage of, of, the, of the fight. And so he did what he had to do to win the fight. What a performance. Just absolutely fantastic from Poirier and he's on this incredible run now over the last couple of years where he's putting in some fantastic performances he's winning most of the fights the the only one you know that he's lost obviously is to Khabib who's you know at this stage one of the best of all time one of the greatest of all time undefeated and it's one of those fights where stock goes up for both men 
you know, st the stock doesn't get, go down for Hooker in this situation. I think we all saw the, the mental and intestinal fortitude this guy's got. He didn't get finished. You know, he was able to go the full 25 minutes with Poirier, which, which, is, which says a lot about him, given the, the punishment that was dished out to him. Obviously, both men weren't sticking around for post-fight uh, interviews. They were, we were both sent to um, the, the hospital to take, you know, get, get taken care of. And man, Poirier's still... Here's the thing about this division. There's levels. This is a shark tank. 155 is a shark tank, but there's levels. I think Dan Hooker is a solidified top 10 fighter, right? But the Poirier is a solidified top 3, top 4, top 5. And it's it's literally a, a game of inches between where Hooker is at, where Poirier is at, and where Poirier is at, and where the likes of Justin Gaethje Khabib and those guys. Obviously, you know, Poirier's got a win over Justin Gaethje, but Khabib's right at the top of the mountain. And I guess we're looking forward now in terms of what, what's, what's next for Poirier. You know, maybe he takes some time out. Maybe he just sits back and, and let's see what develops between Khabib and Justin Gaethje. Right, because if Gaethje wins, he can then say, "Hey, listen, I've got a, I've got a win over him, right?" And I can put myself in that title picture. Although I think the UFC are going to probably want to give Conor a call and say, "Hey, are you really retired? Are you really retired? Are you sure?" Because uh, Khabib just won this fight, and we'd like to put on uh, a sequel to the the biggest selling pay per view we've ever done, <laughs> if you don't mind, mate. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what kind of you know happens next for Poirier, but. Um, Man, I'm just, I'm just so, just going back to the fight for a second. I'm just so impressed by both men. Um, it lived up and exceeded all of our expectations uh, going into the fight. Both great guys. Uh, if you look at social media today, Dan Hooker, he's now flown back to New Zealand and 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 as part of the gig to fly to the states to to fight. He's had to go into uh, self isolation for two weeks, and there's a heartbreaking image online today where there's like a physical distancing barrier between him and his kid and i'm not a parent simon you are just knowing that you've been away for a, a week or two uh, to compete in a fight uh you know potentially a, you know one of those career changing and defining moments in your professional fighting career to then lose take that long flight back to to new zealand and then not even be able to pick up your kid hug and kiss him and knowing that's going to be your life for two weeks, it's just, uh, it pulls at your heartstrings, doesn't it? It does. It does. But having said that, the war zone that is my house right now, I would happily have a couple of those barriers just in, <laughs> just, just in, uh, in, case, of, uh, in case of emergency because this place is chaos right now. Two, two, uh, two crazy kids on lockdown and it's all getting a bit, a bit mad. But yeah, Dan Hooker, I mean, he's, he's made a lot of sacrifices to get over there, have that fight. It didn't quite go his way. But as you said, coming out of it with immense credit. And I think he now knows what adjustments he has to make to take himself up to that truly elite group at the top of the 155 division. And I think he'll get there. I really do think he'll get there. I think this is the this is the uh, the fight where he tasted it. And he wasn't that far. He wasn't found wanting, really. He, he was just edged out by Dustin Poirier. Um, Dustin Poirier, I, I suspect the UFC will look to make the Tony Ferguson fight. That that seems to me the most likely option at this point. I think Poirier is going to need a little bit of time to rest up after that. Uh, Tony Ferguson certainly needs a bit of time to rest up after his defeat to Justin Gaethje. But maybe by the end of the year, we might see those two back in the cage or maybe early in 2021. 
Um, and I think the winner of that is right back in the conversation again. So, um, you know, we've still got this Khabib Tony Ferguson fight that is seemingly cursed. We haven't had it yet. There's an opportunity there. Tony Ferguson beats Dustin Poirier, and then Khabib takes care of business against uh, against Justin Gaethje. All of a sudden, that fight is back on the table again. And who the hell knows what's going on with Conor McGregor right now? I mean, is he retired? Is he not retired? I don't know. But at the moment, you have to bet without him. Um, and uh, I think that's the I think that is the common sense uh, fight to look at next: Dustin Poirier versus versus Tony Ferguson. Interesting to see how they pitch Dan Hooker next. How far how far down the pecking order do you do you give him? I mean, someone who is absolutely desperate for a fight, someone uh, who no one wants to fight. That's Charles Oliveira. Charles Oliveira actually called out Dustin Poirier this week. Um, he said he he's he's I think he's seven in a row, all seven by finish. Um, so I think he's certainly worth a shot against one of the top guys in the division. Maybe Dan Hooker is the next next rung on the ladder for someone like uh, Charles Oliveira. So. That would be a tough assignment for Hooker coming back. But, you know, this is the, as you said, it's a shark tank at 55. So um, plenty of options for the UFC matchmakers. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how this division shakes out. And when we actually get to the start of 2021, it'll be really interesting to see what the division looks like then. Who will be champion? Who the top contender is? Are we going to see a lot of movement? Is Connor back in the mix? So many unanswered questions that hopefully we'll get between now and the end of 2020. One question that we got answered, Sandu, on Fight Night is, how the hell is Mike Platinum Perry going to get on with Latori Gonzalez, his girlfriend, in the corner and nobody else? There was It, it was one of the stories leading in to, uh, to Fight Night last weekend. Perry gave some, frankly, quite bizarre pre-fight interviews. Uh, and part of me thought he was sandbagging. I thought, oh, no, he's going to turn up with a full crew. He's going to be... He's going to be sharp as a tech. He's going to have a full crew with him and he's going to just turn around and say, I punked all of you guys. But he didn't. He turned up with just his girlfriend in tow, but he put on a great performance. He put on a really good performance against Mickey Gall, who started out looking really good in that fight. Striking looked really good. He was countering Perry really nicely in those those early exchanges. But Perry did something that we hardly ever see from him uh, in his fights. He fought smart. He actually, Perry normally just goes in like a bull at a gate, tries to bulldoze the guy in front of him and refuses to take a backward step. Perry was a little bit more savvy this time round. He was he was pacing himself. He was looking for opportunities. He was clinching when normally he would back away and just throw leather. And uh, I think he confused Mickey Gould a little bit. And he even took Mickey Gould down and looked pretty dominant in top position as well. So he had a little bit of everything in that fight. He got the win. What next? For Platinum Mike Perry. I know he like Darren Till always gets discussed, but Darren Till is, you know, that 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 ship has sailed. He's in the middleweight division. He beats Robert Whitaker in a month's time. He's fighting for a title at 185 pounds. So he's he's not in the picture right now. What do you do with Platinum Mike Perry, Sandu? That was a, and also what did you make of the performance? I thought it was a great display. Yeah, good performance from from Mike Perry. He needed to win. That was the most important thing. He just snapped his two-fight losing streak, his second two-fight losing streak uh, during his UFC career thus far. So that was an important win. Mike Perry's in that category that you know he's never going to fight for a title. We all all know that he's not going to fight for a UFC championship. But he is such a larger-than-life character, and he's got so much charisma and personality. He moves that proverbial needle that we're always talking about. When you know you look at the Google trends, you look at the social media traffic, 
there's a reason the UFC put Mike Perry in a co-main event slot, even though he was coming off back-to-back losses. People, for for better or better or worse, are attracted to him, whether they want to see him win, whether they want to see him lose. And credit to Mike Perry, we know this happens all the time. Fight week, every Mike Perry fight, there's something to talk about. There's something interesting. And in this case, it was the whole... I'm going to have my girlfriend as my sole corner person. And speaking of that, again, like I said, I wasn't on BT Sports Shift on Saturday night, so I didn't get the the UK and the British broadcast. I was watching TSN here in Canada. And I don't know what it was like for you, Simon, but in this part of the world, (laughs) at the end of the first round, they cut to damn commercial break. And I was thinking to myself, what are you guys doing? The whole kind of build up to this fight has been about the girlfriend being in the corner and we're so intrigued to see what the the corner advice is and what she's going to do to take care of Mike you know in between the first and second round and I don't think we've ever anticipated an end of a round more so than that particular moment and they cut to commercial break we obviously you know got a social clip afterwards but what was it like for you in the UK did you guys end up seeing it live we got it I mean most people out there, or, or, or you know, quite quite a few people out there, will know that um, I used to work at BT Sport. I was there from when they launched, and uh, something that I used to I used to bang on at the production, the TV production guys about when I worked there, and it's been a bugbear of mine even since I've left. Is the timing of the commercial breaks is absolutely crucial. I hated the fact that they used to run commercials during the walkouts. I've accepted the fact that this is just to keep the lights on. They need to do it right. You don't need to go to commercial break between rounds. That's part of what. That's part of the action. And they didn't. They didn't. We we had the whole thing, and uh, so Latori comes in with the bucket and the ice and all the rest of it. Had the bag of ice, and uh, she basically said, "You're doing great. You're doing great." And at one point, Perry sort of half turned around and went, "You're looking great. You're looking." Great. <laughs> that was basically it. Other than that, it was a case of. Perry telling her where to put the ice. Like, oh, I'll put it on my head. I'll put it on my neck. I'll put it on my back. Or whatever. But that was basically it. I mean, she was just, she just kept sort of almost whispering in his ear, you're doing great. You're doing great. Uh, but Perry was just zeroed in. And it was really interesting listening to him after the fight um, during his post-fight press conference. He could hear the pep talk that Mickey Gall was getting from his corner between rounds. And he he said that he'd heard heard them referring to certain code words I think they talked about blades or slicing or something or razor. Ah, that's it. Razor, I think he said. And uh, he worked out. I mean, it's hardly rocket science, but it turned out it was elbows, right? Um, but um, there were. Uh, he said there were a couple of instances where they were calling for stuff during the fight. And by the time he got to the third round, he had a load of the code words already figured out because he'd been listening during the rounds while he was fighting. And he was listening during the cornering time as well. In theory, right, having no coach is absolutely batshit mental, right? You're going in there, you're fighting at the highest level, and you're going in there and you go, nah, I don't need a coach. I don't need a coach. But it depends on the guy. Maybe for Mike Perry, it's not such a crazy idea because Mike Perry is a very frantic, high-octane character. And when he gets back to his corner, more often than not, his corner are telling him off, right? Because... He's going too gung-ho. He's opening himself up for getting caught. And 
you know, it's not like he's gone in there with a slick game plan and he's following it to the letter. He's going back to the corner and his coaches are desperately trying to get a rope around him and getting him back onto the game plan. That's what we've seen in past fights. And that's not how Mike Perry rolls, right? He just wants to go in there and throw down. So the complete absence of that in his corner may actually have helped him remove all of that, um, all of that white noise, if you like, um, let, you know, allow him to bring the heart rate down, let him calm down, let him listen to the other corner. I mean, you couldn't do that with crowding, but with these pandemic shows with no, with no crowding, then, you know, you, you're actually getting a bit of insight while you're sitting there and listening. So, um, it actually worked for him and it, on reflection, looking at it, and I'll, I, you know, I'll hold my hands up. I was taking the Mickey out of him like everybody else was. Um, but, at, you know, maybe for him and his character, it wasn't such a crazy idea after all. Um, and clearly, he'd worked, he'd worked on his game. He had training partners and all of that. So it wasn't like he was just training on his own. All of that was clearly slight misdirection on his part. Um, but when it came to fight night, he went in there. He was fully prepared for the fight. He's fighting against a good guy, Mickey Gall, um, who who started the fight very well. Perry made the adjustments himself and won the fight 29-28 on all three scorecards. But the story might continue. He talked about he wants to start platinum MMA um, and he wants his own little team going on. But the the one person he mentioned, Sandu, that he thought would be a a good extra corner man for him. So obviously Latori, you know, she's... She's nailed on, right? She's she's 100% winning record, so she's in, right? But they might want another person in there just to just to help out, give a little bit of insight. And the name that he brought up in the post-fight press conference would be absolute gold. Yoel Romero. He wants you... <laughs> so we could have Latori Gonzalez with the ice. Yoel Romero shouting whatever Yoel Romero decides to shout at him between rounds and then you got Perry there sort of puffing his cheeks and all the rest of it I think that's must see TV that would be outstanding but great performance from Mike Perry who do you want him to fight next Sandu I mean welterweight there are so many so many fights you could give him and he he would make almost any fight a must watch fight because that's the kind of guy he is yeah so I don't think you give him a a ranked opponent next I mean I think you put him in a situation where we know it will be a fun fight and it will be a little bit crazy. The build-up will be fun. Interviews, back and forth, face-offs will be incredible. And there's only one name that comes to mind, and I think it's Diego Sanchez. I think Diego Sanchez versus Mike Perry would just be absolute fireworks, and I'm not even talking about the fight. <laughs> I think I think they'd give us so many different talking points just in the build-up and the lead-in. And, hey, listen, it'll just be you know two guys who we know aren't going to fight for a UFC championship but are, are there, are in the same weight class and, and can do the business. In fact, you know, Diego Sanchez hasn't... I, th- I don't think he's fought in a while, so hopefully he's kind of like healed up and, and good to go. He's based out there in Albuquerque, New Mexico, even though I don't think he's with the, the Jackson Wink camp anymore these days. But, you know, the UFC are going to be back in Vegas. They're going to be back in the apex for the entire month of August. Uh, I don't know how banged up Mike Perry is. But, again, just, he's just a great addition. He's a fun addition to either a fight night card in a co-main event slot maybe um, or maybe, you know, uh, a lead-in to a, a pay-per-view main card. He, um, he definitely kind of moves that needle, like I said earlier. The one thing I will say about the whole corner situation, um, it, it it did trouble me a little bit 
that the Nevada State Athletic Commission kind of just let this one slide and they kind of were kind of okay with her being in, in the corner because it was just a week ago where they said that they were going to investigate Robert Drysdale and that whole situation with Max Rushkoff. And I'm thinking, well, how can you have a stance on, on some, on a situation like that, but on, on the, on the other end of the, uh, the pendulum, so to speak, you're going to let someone's girlfriend that's got no combat sports experience, just be the sole corner person for that fighter. There should be at least some vetting process. Um, I'm not, you know, there should be some sort of oversight and and a look into who that person is. And although it's up to the fighter, they put the names down. Um, I don't know. Am, am I reaching on that on that idea, Simon? What do you think? Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I think uh, I think it was Tracy Trudeau who um, follows both of us. She she tweeted saying, "Let's not forget that the Nevada State Athletic Commission wouldn't let." Nick Diaz corner Nate Diaz because of an unpaid weed fine. Um, and uh, But here we are with uh, Latore Gonzalez, who incidentally has done nothing wrong. I think we, you know, there's oh, the, no. there's absolutely no, there's no uh, pursuit of her personally or anything like that. I think it's just the situation is a, is a little bit of a bizarre one. Um, and, uh, you know, you talk about the Max Rushkoff thing. What would happen if Mike Perry got himself in serious trouble in that fight? Exactly my who's point. Gonna, yeah, who's gonna who's gonna throw the towel in? Is is Latori gonna throw the towel in? Latori might have been told before the fight under no circumstances throw a towel in. She she's young. She's she's his girlfriend. But you need someone who can be over and above a relationship at that in a moment like that and can say, I don't care how much respect we've got for each other. I don't care how far back we go. You aren't making, you know, I'm making a decision for the good of your health and the towel's going in. And that's a big call to make. And he didn't really, I don't, he didn't really have anybody in the corner to do that. So, uh, yeah, I, I, it's a completely valid point and, and, and you are absolutely dead right. Um, very quickly before we move on, um, we talked about who, who potentially um, he can fight next. And arguably you hit the nail on the head there. Diego Sanchez would be great, right? Especially if Diego abandoned his wrestling for a week and just left it in the... And he said, right, we're going to go absolutely crazy. Also, the other great thing about that is we'd have um, Latore Gonzalez in one corner, a single <laughs> corner person for uh, for Mike Perry. And in Diego Sanchez's corner, we have Joshua Fabia in, uh, in his corner, lone corner person. So um, you know, I mean, it'll be the battle of the uh, the sort of the uh, the one man corner team. So that would be interesting. An alternative opponent, um, if you want someone absolutely crazy, you want something that's going to just pop off the page when you see the matchup on on the bout sheet, and you just look at it and go, I don't care what else I'm doing, the phone's going off. Um, you know, I'm shuttering the windows. No one's coming in. I'm not going to pick up any food. Mike Perry. Michel Pereira, book it. Mike Perry versus Michel Pereira. Uh, I have no idea how Michel Pereira makes 170 pounds or 171, but he does. Um, and uh, he's a wild man. Mike Perry, tests have shown, is a wild man. Put those two together, sit back, light the blue touch paper and enjoy it. That would be that would be my matchup. Um, that's the kind of craziness we need in our lives. And uh, that would be that would be my pick. Something else 
A completely different type of emotion uh, was was the heavyweight fight between Maurice Green and John Vellante. John Vellante, by the way, um, someone who I had a great laugh with in Prague. Um, me and uh, a, a good friend of a pair of ours, Abby, Abby Subban, who obviously is a videographer extraordinaire for MMA Junkie. We were in Prague covering the, uh, the, uh, the UFC event there. And uh, pretty much everybody we spoke to had a translator on media day. John Vellante didn't have a translator, but he did have Chris Weidman there. So uh, we grabbed Chris Weidman before we did it and went, do you want to be his translator? We'll translate from English to New York English, then back to English English again. And uh, it went pretty well. It was kind of funny. And uh, so I've always, I've always, uh, always sort of looked out for John Vellante. He's, he's, a, he's a bit of a... A bit of a character, a bit of a wild man. Moving up to heavyweight, looking like he'd kind of relaxed his training camp a little bit to make heavyweight. And uh, he came in at the same weight as Maurice Green, who looked about a foot and a half taller than him. And uh, looked like he was on his way to potentially winning the fight as well. I mean, he started off slow, worked his way back into it, and he had Green in big, big trouble towards the end. And then out of nowhere, Green, lying on his back, managed to lock up some sort of modified arm triangle Volante taps and everyone's sort of looking at each other going, what just happened there? Um, but the fight itself is just part of the story. It was Maurice Green's reaction afterwards where he completely broke down during his post-fight interview, um, looking to move so he can make a real career of this, move his family, but they needed the win. I think he'd lost his last couple. If he'd have lost this fight, that might have been his career gone. Um and you could just see in a moment there, in a sport where you've got the likes of Conor McGregor and people at the very top who, who you know, who are doing okay out of it, you've got these people trying to work their way up and prove themselves and make a career out of it. Um, and uh, that really hit home for me, especially everyone's struggling during this pandemic, right? Everyone's trying to cling on to what they've got. It's no different in the fight game. And when you're in a situation where... Uh, you're going into a fight and you've lost your last few and you're on the verge of getting beat in your fight and you pull out a submission and everything is on the line and it all just came pouring out for for uh, Maurice Green so that for me was a, a an, you know an extra little highlight on fight night Sandu yeah it was a bit of a hell merry moment there for for Maurice Green and and like you said you know he's lost a couple back-to-back losses he snapped that two fight losing streak and Typically, we've seen if you lose three in a row, that's your UFC career done, right? Uh, and he's not in that category of a Mike Perry where he's an outlandish character, where he's still usable in some way, shape or form by the company, by the promotion. And yeah, emotional stuff, uh, post-fight, happy for him. And, and again, look, you've referenced Conor McGregor there. The Conor McGregor's, the Jorge Masdaws, the John Jones, these kind of fighters, they're in the top 1% to 5% of, of, of fighters in the UFC roster. The, the vast majority of fighters on the roster are literally making ends meet on a day-to-day basis. They're trying to get as many fights in as they can. And, you know, I definitely recommend folks check out Eddie Alvarez and Ben Askren's Twitter feed because over the weekend, they were trying to give some advice to other fighters with regards to how to manage your finances and how to... Um, better manage the money that you do make um the one that kind of stuck out to me and, and it's what i've done here um as a kind of i guess 
um, independent freelancer myself is you've got to set up your own business because then there's ways to write off expenses, right? When you're when you're owing taxes and things like that. And so I don't know if every management company or manager provides, a, you know, solid accounting services to their fighters. Um, but maybe that's something that the fighters need to, to take on board themselves and try and get that right um, as early as possible in their careers. Because then depending on, especially for the American fighters, and I think it's maybe even worse for overseas fighters, just given kind of the international taxes and how that kind of, um, how, how that kind of works. But just based on what I know about the US, depending on what state you're in, you could be potentially paying between 40 to 50% um, of your fight purse straight to the taxman. And that's not including how much money you uh, have to put in for camps and how much money your coaches are going to get. And again, going back to the co-main event, you know, maybe Mike Perry said, hey, you know what? I don't need to fly out coaches uh, and put them up in hotels uh, and all the rest of it um, and feed them uh, and give them their per diems and then just pay them for being there at, at, at an event. I can save all that money and just have my girlfriend there with me, right? Because... I know what I can do. I know what I can bring to the table. I'm a veteran of the sport. I don't need any advice. And maybe that was his prerogative and maybe that was his thinking. Um, but again, going back to the, the Maurice Green situation, that's why a win like that means so much. And that's why fighters, you know, consistently are almost begging and pleading as as, as hard as it is to watch for these fight night bonuses. Because outside of your 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 show and win money, which sometimes can be 12 and 12,000, a $50,000 bonus, that's life-changing for a lot of these people, right? Um, they've got families. And, and again, most fighters most fighters that get into mixed martial arts or, or are trying to get to the UFC, they don't grow up with a silver spoon in their mouth. They're, they're not rich. They're, 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 they're trying to get into the fight game and they're trying to become fighters and they're trying to become professional fighters, rather, because they have nothing. And that's what we love about the sport is because you get these stories and you know the famous saying with conor mcgregor is from something from nothing to something to everything and that's what every fighter is striving to achieve so every every once in a while we'll get an, an emotional post-fight interview which kind of uh you know hits hits home because like i said everyone's trying to do what they can especially now more so than ever during this pandemic yeah definitely and uh Maurice Green's already got himself a fight as well. His next fight is pretty much locked in. Um, Tanner Bosa, who uh, put on a great performance on the, on the prelims, knocked out Philippe Linz, uh, Felipe Linz with a huge, huge combination. Something like a seven or eight punch combination. Uh, massive performance. I remember watching Tanner Bosa for ACB in Manchester. And I remember they brought him in to lose to this Russian dude. And he beat this Russian dude up and got done on the scorecards. So um, I remember watching that. And when he got to the UFC, I, I've, I've always thought, don't sleep on Tanner Bozer. He's, uh, he's got the mullet going on. And uh, he, his physique has gotten better with each fight as well. Um, he, he, he looked a little sort of pudgy-ish when he first started out. But now he's looking absolutely ripped. And uh, he was quite light for a, for a heavyweight, but he... He, he, he can certainly hit and uh, that was a great performance and uh, turned out him and Maurice Green had had some sort of some sort of chat by the pool during fight week um, I think they might have been scheduled to fight before or it, it had been discussed that they were going to fight before and it didn't quite happen um, and I think Maurice Green was targeting higher ranked opposition at the time we'll 
obviously he's dropped down the pecking order a little bit now. Um, and Boza called him out brilliantly after his fight. They put that to Maurice Green later in the night. Maurice Green said, I'm down, let's do it. So that'll be a fun fight uh, a little bit further down the line when those two are both cleared to go again. Uh, quickly running down the rest of the card, Brendan Allen versus Kyle Delkus. Great fight at middleweight. Two relative newcomers. Kyle Delkus actually making his uh, his UFC debut. Former Cage Fury middleweight champion. A um, lot of good things about him. I've seen him fight a few times for that promotion. He's very, very good and... Uh, wasn't too far off getting himself a, a decent result against Brendan Allen, but that was a great fight, back and forth one. Uh, Takashi Sato uh, put another debutant, short notice debutant, Jason Witt, put him away in 48 seconds. Um, hopefully Witt gets another opportunity after a, a full fight camp because they put him in with an absolute killer. Uh, Sato's the sort of guy that no one wants to fight, um, but he's, he's a dangerous man at 170. And uh, you mentioned in the post-fight bonuses, one of the performances of the night for me, or the performance of the night for the people handing out the bonuses, Julian Arosa, Juicy J. I remember being in a Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas when he won uh, the tough finale to get into the UFC. And he had a load of really raucous fans in. He was one of the earlier fights of the night. And everyone was going absolutely nuts for him. And um, he got into the UFC back then. He had a, run, he had a short run in the UFC. Didn't go very well went away, came back at another run. That didn't go so well, went away again. He's back again. He got called in on very short notice to take on Sean Woodson, who for a featherweight has got ludicrous reach. Um, he's like Spider-Man or something. He's, he's, he's got these huge long limbs, really good striker, very sort of slick. Um, and uh, Arosa took everything Woodson can throw at him and then submitted him in the last round um, when he was down on the scorecards. That was massive. He got fifty a fifty grand bonus uh, to go on top of uh, to go on top of his fight purse. So that was great stuff. Karma Worthy, Low Sandu. I don't know whether you were on on for the prelims. Karma Worthy beating Violent Bob Ross, uh, uh, Luis Pena. A lot of people, including me, had backed Pena for that one or tipped Pena for that one. Um, but um, I now believe in Karma. Let's put it like that. He was he was a worthy winner, Sandu. He was, and I'm not sure where Luis Pena goes from here. I like the, I like the pun, Simon. <laughs> Trying to keep a straight face here, keep it professional. Um, yeah, you know, look, Luis Pena, just like a year ago, I'm thinking, all right, is this going to be the next one? Is this going to be the next breakthrough kind of star in the UFC? And and over the course of the last, what, nine or ten months, he's suffered a couple of losses now. Uh, he lost against Matt Frivola, bounced back in February, got a win over Steve Garcia, and then obviously lost this past weekend to Karma Worthy. Good for Karma Worthy. Uh, you know, Violent Bob Ross, not sure um, where he goes from here. Maybe a little bit more work to do. He's still developing as a fighter. I think if a UFC uh, matchmaker, there's still uh, potential with him. I don't know what the ceiling is, uh, but you've got to be careful with how um, you match him up uh, when his... Uh, when he's up next in, in the UFC. The only other kind of fight I want to mention um, is the the women's strawweight fight. Kay, Kay Hansen defeating Jin Yu Frey uh, via third round submission via armbar. And the only reason I want to mention this is it was one of the biggest stories from a betting perspective coming out of the night. There was a, a gentleman in Vegas who made a $37,000 bet on Kay Hansen to win 20 grand. Obviously, she does the business. He wins. He's having a good time. 
And then lo and behold, wouldn't you know it, that at the airport, as they're both kind of leaving Las Vegas, they both run into each other at the airport, take a few pictures for social media. And uh, it's, it's just bizarre because this lad has obviously, you know, won more money and has more money now because of that bet than she earned on Fight Night, which is which tells you everything you know about the state of fighter pay in 2020. But I thought that was a, a pretty interesting moment. And um, it's kind of been interesting to see how these really big bets are starting to get announced and made more public um, over the last couple of weeks. Obviously, we saw, I think it was a, a million dollar bet or, a, or something like that um, in that ballpark for Amanda Nunes. Um, it was, I think it was like a million just to win maybe a hundred grand or something like that because she was such a big, big favorite, right? Um, so it's interesting to see how this kind of develops if we're going to start to... Um, get more information about some of these big bets being made. And of course, at the moment, UFC is one of the only shows in town. You know, uh, the Premier League is, is around, Bundesliga is around, and there's a few other sports uh, that are putting on events, uh, but nothing quite as consistent as the UFC. We've got top rank boxing back, and I know Eddie Hearn and Matchroom Boxing are going to be starting up against, again, again soon. But combat sports attracts gamblers attracts uh you know sports bettors and uh yeah i thought that was an interesting kind of story from fight night for Kay hansen yeah definitely ufc debut Jin Yu fry as well former invicta atomweight champion i know there were a lot of people excited to see her get her shot after so many years um on the big stage actually getting a chance and uh, it was it was the youngster Kay hansen who, who got the win so she got 28 28k in fighter pay so she had 14 14 to show 14 to win but then she got a 50k performance of the night bonus as well so she took home 78 grand on her ufc debut not a bad way to uh, kick off your ufc career so looking forward to seeing how she uh, how she progresses in that strawweight division that's uh, it's quite a deep division the strawweight division there should be plenty of options for her moving forward and Jin Yu Fry I'm sure she'll bounce back as well she actually looked quite good up until the point that um she got taken down she looked she looked like the better fighter on the feet but uh, on the ground it was all all Kay Hansen that is pretty much it uh for UFC on ESPN what was it UFC on ESPN 12 I think it was or UFC Vegas 4 um, as uh, as the hashtags have been calling it. Um, a good run of shows at the UFC Apex. And uh, Sandy, just, just taking a look at what we've seen over the course of those five shows, we didn't know what we were going to get, right? You know, I know we had a bit of a teaser with the three Jacksonville shows, but everything was about getting back to Vegas. They've got this purpose-built, purpose-built facility. How are the shows going to look? How is the broadcast going to work? How would you grade it? I mean, personally, I think they've absolutely smashed it out of the park. And I haven't missed the crowds half as much as I thought I would. I think it's worked brilliantly. Yeah, you can't say anything more than this has been an absolute home run for the UFC. They have to deliver these events for their broadcast part of the big one being ESPN. So they've ticked that box. But then just seeing the amount of effort they've put into the testing and um, working with the Nevada State Athletic Commission regarding the the safety protocols and COVID-19 measures and and all the rest of it has been great. I mean, I think looking back at all of the events, even taking into account the events in Jacksonville, there was that one situation with Yoel Romero and his corner. But apart from that, I think from apart from maybe the odd cornerman or here and there, it's been pretty good in terms of their fighters 
not testing positive for COVID-19, not, you know, uh, being, you know, pulled out of fights. I think uh, the only kind of uh, pullouts we've had is because of like maybe a, a bad weight cut or something like that. But nothing that's kind of like really been, you know, a big detriment to the top end of these cards and main events and co-main events and marquee names and things of that nature. It's been pretty great. Um, and then when you start to look at the production, the broadcast, I've really enjoyed it. I'm with you. Don't get me wrong. I can't wait for fans to get back into arenas because I feel like there's still nothing better than an electric atmosphere for big events and creating special moments in this sport that just kind of resonate, um, you know, and break into the mainstream. You know, you start to think back to all these big moments, whether it's with Conor McGregor, Ronda Rousey, and, and you know, you name any major moment, you know, you know, can you imagine if uh, Derek Lewis is speaking to Joe Rogan with no fans in, in the arena when he dropped the whole hot balls? Yeah, things like that, right? Um, so don't get me wrong, I can't wait for fans to be back. But having said that, there's been so much that we've got out of these events that we would never get with fans being in the arena. Now, look, we've watched the Ultimate Fighter. We've watched the Contender series. So we know what it's like for fans not to be in the arena. But for those events, there's still some semblance of atmosphere, whether it's with friends and family and or teammates and things of that nature. In this current setup, it's dead silent aside from perhaps just the commentators and that's actually been one of the funny things about this whole setup is you know it started with Daniel Cormier we had it this past weekend with Dustin Poirier uh, referencing Mike Bisping as he kind of I guess told Dan Hooker to uh, be a bit more careful with his leg kicks and so that's been fascinating and I've got and I've got my own thoughts on that because it's almost you know, the only other people that can probably... I mean, if the fighters can hear the, the the broadcast team, then the judges can too. So I think there's definitely a conversation to be had where, whether the, the broadcast team should perhaps be in a separate room. Uh, kind of like how Uriah Faber and Snoop Dogg were a couple of years ago for the Contender Series, right? So they can't have an influence on perhaps the judges and how they're scoring each round. Or you just isolate the judges, but I guess you don't really want that. You want them to have the best seat in the house. So anyway, I mean, that's a co different conversation for perhaps a different day. I've loved uh, the, the setup. I've loved the broadcast. Um, even just the, the small little elements like um, going back. And now I think it's normal, but the way they brought up social media tweets from fans from media it just it adds a nice little element and again i mentioned this a few episodes ago to twitter and social media posts being a part of sports broadcasts have been here for donkey's years but i just think the way espn the ufc have done it has been clean has been nice it gets better and better it's not protruding my you know enjoyment of the fights and so yeah i love it and not to mention the fact that we're actually hearing every single kick and punch so much more and even down to uh, the, the, the in between the rounds the moments between the fires and their cornermen we're hearing more of that and so i think all of that is absolutely fascinating it adds to the drama it adds to the to the emotion and, and the story of how the fights are playing out so given everything that's going on in the world i don't think we could have got a, a, a better situation than what the ufc have presented us with over the last five six weeks in the apex i think it's been i think it's been superb and and i mean we might as well talk about it now i mean we'll move on we'll we'll, we'll, we'll talk about fight fights of the year uh to sort of finish off um but this this kind of leads on nicely with other sports and and comparing what we're getting with the ufc right now to what's happening with other sports in the sporting world because 
I'm a massive, massive football fan or soccer, if you're listening to this in the States. And I know you are too. Um, but f- football without fans, there's a, there's a bit of a catchphrase doing the rounds here in England. Football without fans is nothing. And it really does feel feel like there's you know you're 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 getting less than 50 percent of the experience and it's it's really interesting and we've got other sports gradually coming back and um you know like we've got formula one starts at the weekend and uh motor gp and 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 superbike racing all stuff motorsport i think can work because my 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 sort of theory on all of this is the sound what what is the soundtrack of the actual sport what is the soundtrack of the sport and in mixed martial arts, the soundtrack of the sport is the commentary and the sound of the shots landing. Yeah, you get the, the U's and the R's and all the rest of it from the crowd. But that's not intrinsic to what you're actually watching. You, you're, you're reacting to what, you know, to what you're seeing in front of you. A football match without, without crowd is almost, you know, you might just all be watching it with the sound on mute. It's not the same. It is not the same. Without the crowd there, and I know... In the UK, BT Sport and BBC and Sky have been running a, uh, an audio soundtrack uh, of crowd noise, and someone in in a production studio is playing different crowd noises to fit what's going on. So when there's a shot that just misses, they hit a button and the crowd goes oh, or if there's you know like a bad refereeing decision, the crowd would be like booing and stuff like this. And there's not a soul in the stands, right? It's it's but it kind of half works but it doesn't because there's no people there so it doesn't it doesn't work as much for football formula one and all of that i don't think it's going to matter that there's no crowd there i mean you don't get the shots of you know the you know the big aerial helicopter shots with all the crowd and stuff you're going to be without that but the soundtrack of motorsport is the engines the soundtrack is the you know the the sort of the squealing tires and and and, and the engines and all the rest of it and the commentators going absolutely mental you're going to get all that when when motorsport comes back, but the UFC and and MMA I think has not suffered at all. I genuinely don't think they've suffered at all from having no fans. Yeah, it's different, but is it worse? I don't think it's worse. I just think it's different, and I think when the when when the fans do come back, maybe that will elevate things a little bit, and it'll I think people will appreciate the atmosphere a bit more. But I don't know. Maybe I'm. You know, because I'm used to watching contender series, I'm used to watching tough, where you basically hear a few cornermen shouting and maybe a few teammates sitting in the bleachers. It's not that much different, um, and I think I think it's worked absolutely brilliantly. Um, but it hasn't worked like that with other sports, and it, it's going to be interesting to see how some of these how some of these other sports that are coming back are going to be received because it is different. For MMA, I think they've absolutely smashed it, and I think it works brilliantly. Football, I'm not so sure about it. What do you reckon? I mean, you've been watching the games from over there, so how have you how have you reacted to seeing seeing Spurs playing and it just being no crowd noise or or false crowd noise being played through? I think the first game, I was so happy to see football back that I didn't even think too much about you know, the fans being there and all the alternative. Kind of like almost like the comedy laugh track that you get in sitcoms, right? Um, I, I don't really let that even affect me too much, to be honest, because I was so excited to see my my beloved Spurs play football again, right? 
And then the second game, and now watching a few more games, I'm like, ah, it's just not there for me. And it's all about what is the alternative, right? And so I've now consumed two other sports or slash sports entertainment different from the UFC to give me an idea of, of what other kind of sports leagues are doing. And the only comparisons I've got right now is the Premier League and professional wrestling. And professional wrestling is perhaps a little bit close to home to, to MMA as well. And watching AEW or the WWE, it's not the same. You know, fans make the atmosphere. They're chanting. They're part of the, the matches. They're part of the storyline. And they've had a few of the other wrestlers or perhaps a few extras or stand-ins to try and create some semblance of atmosphere. But it's not even close to what it's like when there's a packed arena and professional wrestling. Same thing goes for the Premier League and, and the football. You know, you and me have been going to games for years. I used to work as a steward at the old White Hart Lane Stadium. And it's so organic. The chants that erupt, all the different songs that every club has, seeing, hearing the, the away fans, you know, give it to the home home fans when they're winning and all the rest of it. It's just, you know, reacting to a red card or a tackle or, and, and not to mention the impact that fans can have on the players and how they're performing and how a referee performs under... There's, there's so many caveats to it, right? Whereas, again, what's the alternative? So the alternative is, okay, for football, it's going to be a producer in the back punching some buttons. And that, for me, I'm sorry, doesn't work. What's the alternative for professional wrestling? Well, we'll get some of the other wrestlers and we'll get some stand-ins and we'll get some uh, some extras to just to kind of clap and whoop and cheer and, and bang on a plastic... Uh, board to try and create some sort of you know atmosphere that for me doesn't work what's the alternative to mma and what the ufc have done okay cool no fans complete silence but now we're hearing every single shot we're hearing the corner advice we're hearing the commentators and that for me has accentuated what we're seeing in the cage and so for me that alternative ticks so many boxes for me that I'm enjoying it as much as I did before, albeit in a completely different way. And going back to your example of Formula One, I can't wait for F1 to return. And I agree with you. That's a sport that's not going to miss the fans. And I and I think the, the soundtrack just being the engines roaring as they're zipping around the, 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 the course, it's not going to impact that whatsoever either. So, it'll, I mean, over here, I'm a big, I've turned into a big NBA fan. Simon, since I've been living here for a couple of years. I've, I mean, I've always been a big NBA fan my entire life, but not to the extent that I am now, having consumed the sport so much on a daily basis. And I'm very intrigued to see uh, the start or the restart of the NBA season, which is coming up at the end of July, because I'm not sure if, if that's going to um, be that enjoyable to watch either. I think they're going to have a similar problem um, that the Premier League uh, and football is having, because... NBA again. There's it's played in front of packed fans, twenty thousand. Every every game over here in Toronto is absolutely sold out, and there's something special about that. You know, even to the point of you look at the Lakers. You know, they're they're the the the, the big kind of celebrity team over here in North America, and it's all about who from Hollywood's going to show up. Are you gonna, are you going to see Jack Nicholson in the crowd? Are you going to see none of that? Right. So and maybe again, we'll wait and see what happens. But maybe the alternative is we hear the players. Right. Maybe we hear the, the, the coaching staff shouting directions and maybe that'll give us a whole a completely different perspective and give us a different level of enjoyment. We'll have to wait and see what that looks like, what that sounds like. 
But as of right now, there's no denying it. The UFC have absolutely smashed it. And there's a big drop off for every other sport. And it comes to what it's like to enjoy it as a viewer, as a fan through the broadcast. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure there's, you know, there's a big crossover between, between people who watch MMA and people who watch boxing and, uh, whether you're whether you're stateside or you know over there in North America or over here in the UK, make sure if you can check out what Eddie Hearn is doing because what Eddie Hearn is doing and it's going to start soon. He has seen what is going on with uh, the UFC and he's seen that behind closed doors fights work. Now what he doesn't have is access to a purpose built arena facility. What he does have access to is his back garden, and what they've done. He's got this massive house. The Hearns have this massive house in Brentwood, Essex. Um, and uh, is it Brentwood or Loughton in Essex? Um, and uh, what they've basically done, they've created what they've called matchroom boxing fight camp. And they're going to have a, they've got a ring, covered ring in the back garden. There is a media tent. There is going to be a walkway. And this is all going to be shown. Um, it's going to be shown live here in the UK. Sky Sports are are nicely in bed with uh, with Matchroom Boxing, so you're gonna you're gonna see it all on there. So wherever you get to see Matchroom Boxing stateside, I assume you'll get what it's the zone. I think usually um, keep an eye out for it. It's going to be a very interesting a very interesting set of fights. They're going to be quite small scale. I think it's going to be like five five fights five fights a night, maybe five or six fights a night. And I think they're finishing off. The last one will be uh, a title eliminator, or it might even be a title fight. Actually, Alexander Povetkin is taking on uh, Dillian White uh, in the in in the main event of the final show. But there's a load of great matchups on those cards, and uh, that's going to be an interesting contrast with what the UFC have been doing. But I know Eddie Hearn has got a lot of uh, a lot of respect for what Dana White is doing. He's had him on his podcast recently, um, and uh, it's been very interesting listening to two promoters from different combat sports just sort of chopping it up and sharing sharing a bit of insight between themselves. And um, yeah, that will be well worth checking out. It's called Fight Camp, and uh, I think there's going to be I think there's going to be consecutive Fridays or consecutive Saturdays throughout the next month. Um, in Eddie Hearn's back garden. So that's going to be something to watch. But um, yeah, the UFC absolutely, absolutely smashing it out of the park. And they've they've been helped by some absolute bangers in terms of the fights they've put on. I don't know what it is about these pandemic fights, Sandu, but the fighters just seem to have, they almost seem to have stepped up and said, don't worry, Dana, we got this. And they've just gone in there and they've thrown down and we have seen some absolutely brilliant fights. And, you know, case in point, what you know the uh, the main event that we saw this past past weekend, Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker. People are talking about that as a potential fight of the year candidate. We've seen a fair few, um, so let's chuck a few a few fights into the mix. Who's on the list? If we were doing a short list of fights of the year for twenty twenty, um, let's go through one each and see if we can see if we can build four or five into a short list because we've had some good ones, haven't we? Well, I tell you what, Simon. I've got four in mind anyway, and All right. and if you want to add to it, you can add to it. But I, I think there's clear there's four clear front runners so far, and and you weigh in and you correct me if I'm wrong on any of these. All right. So you're starting with Young Veili versus Joanna Young Jacek, number one. N- number two, 
Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gaethje. Number three, Shane Burgos versus Josh Emmett. And then number four, Dustin Poirier versus Dan Hooker. Am I wrong or am I right? No, they, every single one of them needs to be on that list. There are others that have kind of flown under the radar. Because we've had so many good fights. I mean, the Dan Hooker-Paul Felder fight in New Zealand in February was an absolute banger of a fight. Split decision win for Dan Hooker. Um, that was absolutely huge. Obviously, we had crowds back then. And uh, talking about fighting in front of crowds very, very, very quickly. Um, if ever there was a place for the UFC to go back and do a show in front of a crowd, New Zealand's the place to do it because they have got zero infections right now. They have locked everything down. They have done an amazing job. Whether they'll let anybody in is another another thing altogether. But you could potentially... That, that would be a place to hold, hold an event relatively soon where you might just be able to do, do it with some crowd in. So... Um, but yeah, back at the Spark Arena in February, uh, Dan Hooker getting the win at home against uh, against Paul Felder. That was an absolute banger. Just going back down through through uh, through my list, Zhang Weili, Yuan Injie, obviously needs to be on that list. Absolutely brilliant fight. Um, the order you can kind of argue. I think that's probably the the clubhouse leader right now. I think that's top of the list. I just remember watching that fight, thinking I just. I don't know how you beat that. That was an absolute banger of a fight. Gaethje Ferguson, obviously we know all about that. Um, what else have we got? Emmett Burgos. You mentioned Emmett Burgos. That was a great fight as well. Uh, there was there, there were just so many good fights. Hunter Reserve versus Brian Kelleher. Undercard fight from a few weeks ago. Brian Kelleher, Brian Kelleher getting the win over uh, the Contender Series graduate. Brilliant, brilliant fight. It kind of flies under the radar because... Maybe they're not the two biggest names in the sport. But every everywhere you look, there are great fights being made, whether it's on the prelims, whether it's on the main cards, whether it's the main events or title fight. We're getting great stuff. Even this past week, it's not a fight of the year contender, but Brendan Allen versus Carl Dorcas, I thought was a great fight. I really enjoyed watching that and how it all came together. So, so many good fights. And uh, we've got a fair few coming up in the space of the next month with, with, with fight Island, we've got four shows in 14 days. Um, and, uh, 15 UK based fighters are going to be taking part in those, in, uh, in, in those four fight cards. And on next week's show, Sandu and I will sit down and we will give you a preview of each and every one of those fights right here on the Brit pack. But for now, that's pretty much all we've got on this week's show. Uh, Sandu, do you want to do the usual with regards to subscriptions and all that sort of stuff? Because it's uh, it would be really great to have you guys on board uh, as as part of our as part of our subscriber base. It's all free. We're not asking for any money. So uh, yeah, over to you. Yep, thebritpack.substack.com. That's where we want everyone to join us. Subscribe, listen to the podcast, and listen. Hey, even if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts on Spotify, still. Jump on board with the BritPack.substack.com. If you go to either Simon or my uh, social media feeds, you'll see the links directly to that. If you want, again, just drop us a quick little subscription. Uh, we ain't we ain't gonna spam you. You're not gonna get on any kind of crazy distribution list. It just helps us uh, build an audience so that when we, when it's when it's time when we're ready, we can actually do something special in that community on that website. I love Substack. I love what's going on 
with that uh, with, the, with the company with the with the what they're offering and, and how it's going to potentially grow in the next couple of years. So I think it's a fantastic uh, platform. And then outside of that, of course, if you want to follow Simon and my, my myself, then you, all you need to do is go to at Simon Head Sport on Instagram for Simon or at Simon Head on Twitter. And for myself, it's at Sandu MMA across the board. And then outside of that, listen, whenever you're listening to us, by the end of the show, if you finish, you're happy with what you've heard. Drop us a little review. Give us a rating, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. That's what really helps us, um, you know, grow and get you know put on these charts and helps us with the uh, the Apple algorithm. So that would be much appreciated. Great stuff, and uh, it's a bit of a weird one this weekend. We've got a weekend with no big UFC or Bellator or one championship fights. By the way. One championship are coming back. July 31st in Bangkok, Thailand. They've announced they're going to be doing a show. They haven't announced any MMA fights yet. Um, they've announced three world title fights. A couple, I think they're all Muay Thai fights, uh, funnily enough, being that they're in Bangkok. But um, yeah, that will be, I suspect, a big show. I think they're going to load that card. We could see five or six title fights on that card. So keep a close eye on what they're doing. July 31st, that one. Um, so I'm sure there will be plenty of announcements between now and then um i tend to cover one championship for junkie so uh keep an eye on my social media i will keep you up to speed with all of that stuff as well but yeah this weekend very few fights so enjoy the weekend put your feet up enjoy a few cold beers maybe check out the f1 or the premier league and uh, we'll be back to prime you so you're fully prepared for the carnage that is about to ensue on ufc fight island in Abu Dhabi in just a couple of weeks time till then about to say enjoy the fights but there aren't any enjoy your weekend and we'll speak to you next week